mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bible with me to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be beginning in verse... 66, 1466. Now I know I read this 66 through 72 last week. However, we didn't get to that, and the Lord decided He wanted to separate this, and He wants us to understand a little more carefully what is going on. Now, if you remember, Jesus has been betrayed, arrested. He's in the garden. He's been betrayed with a kiss from his own familiar friend, Judas. He's taken before, if you follow all the the Gospels, the testimony of these four evangelists, he was taken to Annas first, who was the godfather. He was the actual real high priest, but Rome didn't like him, so they made his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. So he's taken to Annas. Then he's taken to Caiaphas. And they're looking for these witnesses to accuse him so that they can find something. See, they already said, they already decided in their heart, he's got to die. He's got to die. And then they begin to look for reason to say why he has to die. It's very important that you be very careful in your life about making decisions and deciding things that don't line up with the Word of God and the ways of God. Because you can make them and then harden your heart and be stubborn and never allow God to change you to believe the truth. Because you've already made up your mind of what you think truth is. But it's not always like that. See, so be very careful what you grew up with. I know when I got saved, I went back in my life and I said, okay, Lord, here we are. And, and I know that all of my life I've been trained by the devil, by the world that lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. And I want to be forgiven for everything that I've ever done. And that's what he does when you ask him for forgiveness and ask him to be your Lord. But then I began to talk to him about things. Do I need this? Do I not need that? Because I, I read so many things and studied so many things when I was in prison for 12 years that I went literally through every book in the library. And, and all these things, I said, Lord, if I don't need it, take it from me. If it's trash, get it out of my mind. And I don't know if you've ever been doing that. You start reading the Bible, you're reading truth, and then you start getting these crazy thoughts in your head. Stuff starts flowing. And, and, and I thought that was crazy at first, but then I got to thinking, I said, you know what? That's God moving them thoughts out. He's, he's making room for his word. He's cleaning up my mind, which is what he promises to do, is wash us and cleanse us with the word by the Holy Spirit. And that's called sanctification. Because we've been believing lies for so long 
And the only way to live is to follow truth. Truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And the Bible declares that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Now listen to me. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of lies coming down the path. It's always been there, but if you're looking to follow Jesus, it's going to become more clear. So if you had a road map out in front of you and you're like, we got to get there, we got to get there, we're going to be late, you know, the, the funeral, the wedding, the, the appointment is at this time, and we've got to go straight there. Now you've got a map in front of you. Would you take and begin to read that map and go, hey, turn here, turn here. No, we can't turn there. We're going straight to the... No, turn left here. Turn there. And see, this is the problem when you're trying to live for truth. You're trying to follow the Word of God and be led by the Spirit of God and do right by God and do the work of God. And there's voices everywhere saying, turn here, turn in here. Try this. This is good here. And you're being led away from truth. So you have to learn to listen to the voice of truth, to articulate what truth is. Now, what's the best way to do that? One is surrender. You have to be covered in the blood. Ask Jesus for forgiveness. But then learn the word of God. Learn the character of God. Learn what's going on with God slowly, and then you'll know better the lie. You know, when people are hired at banks, I think I was teaching this one morning, and there was a bank teller sitting in the front row, not here, but at another church in Lafayette. And I said, is this true? Because I had heard it for so many years. When they train you in a bank as a teller, they give you a, 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 a real money to handle, to count. They don't take and go, okay, you know what, over the last 400 years, we've come up with all of these counterfeits. Here, handle them. Look at these counterfeits. And if you ever see one that looks like this counterfeit, pull it out. Yell for us. No, they put real money in your hand. And you count it. And you get used to what real money feels like. So that when you touch something that's counterfeit, you automatically go, that doesn't feel like money. You automatically realize it. And that's what the Spirit of God does in the life of the people who want to live for God. If you will let the Spirit help you. You learn truth. You begin to handle truth. You begin to surrender your life to truth. And then when you touch something, you go, something ain't right. The Holy Spirit convicts you. This don't feel right for the life of a believer. Now, it might not say in the Bible, thou shalt not do that. But the Spirit will go, this is not real. This is not truth. And you can't follow a David Koresh for too long. You can't follow a John, Jimmy Jones for too long. You can't follow a, a Copeland for too long or a Joyce Myers or any of these names that you see. Creflo Dollar, isn't that a real good name for a prosperity teacher? You can't follow a lie for too long until you say, wait a minute. They're in it for themselves. They want my money, and they're wearing $10,000 suits, you know? And that's, that's, that's a horrible gospel. It doesn't preach in Ethiopia, and the gospel will always preach everywhere. No matter where you're at, it's for every people. You can't just make it up for your sector, for your society, for your group. It's not just for bankers, but it's for bank robbers. So it's truth. It always feels like truth. If you're really searching for truth, it'll always be the same. I don't know where that came from. But listen to me. Follow truth. And when you're following truth, if you're really following truth, there's a lot of things that are going to happen, and we're going to see some right now. 
and God's already told Peter what was going to happen. Remember, he told Peter, Peter was being real proud. I, I can relate to it. We grow up in America. We're all sinners. We have pride. God, even, even if you're a man of God and God begins to use you, you can have spiritual pride. You can think that it's because of you and because of what you knew and who you know and what you're doing. And you forget that it's God that is at work in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's not us. It's not anything about us. All we can be is dead to Christ. So anyway, he told Peter, Peter, um, you know, this night they're going to strike the shepherd and all are going to flee. And Peter says, not I, Lord. Even if all flee, I'll never leave. I'm going to be here. Right? And they came and arrested him in the garden, and every one of them fled. Every one of them ran. And now, they're like freaking out. Think about it. Because in the culture, when your leader was arrested, they would come and round up everybody else, and they would kill them. Now, they wouldn't arrest the women, because women meant nothing. They were like cattle. They put them in a barn. They, they, didn't, they didn't lead nothing. So the women, that's why you see women at the grave. You see women running around. You see women doing things because they're not in fear of being arrested. But the men, they know they're probably going to get killed. But notice if you'll remember in the story, I think it's in Luke in the testimony of it. He says, whom do you seek? And he made it very clear that they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And he, he said, leave these alone. Don't, let, don't, don't take these. If you're here for me, take me. He was in complete control. So he says to Peter, I tell you the truth. This night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now I can tell you that uh, some of the things I learned in my study and that there's, there's not allowed any roosters in Jerusalem. The rooster could have been the trumpet that sounded on the hours, uh, the different hours, but it could have been a rooster that was in a garden outside of town that was making the noise because they travel for quite a way. And do you know that the roosters, we always think that they, they, they crow at sunrise. Are they, they don't. You've been sleeping too long if you think they crow at sunrise. Get up at 4.30 or 5. They'll crow. They're crowing in the dark. Yeah. They, they crow and mourn the hens that something's coming. They're protecting those, those chickens. Anyway, he says, and, and you know, think about Peter. He's running now. He's afraid. They're all fleeing because the, the temple guard come. This is not the Roman soldiers. We don't get to the Roman soldiers to the next chapter. We're not going to get to the, to the, to the uh, ones that are holding them captive because they're under Roman rule. But right now, we're still dealing with just the ruling authorities, just the Sanhedrin and their temple guard that they were allowed to have. But we're going to have an illegal trial. And now he's scared and he's following. Remember what he's doing. He's following at a distance. Listen. This is the problem in Christianity. If you're following Jesus at a distance, listen, the chances are you're going to deny him and sin against him. If you're following him close behind, chances are you're going to suffer and be persecuted with him. And that's the fear that people have, and it should be what we should understand. And this is what's going to happen here. But this is not to destroy Peter. Remember what Jesus also said, if you read it in another gospel? When you have returned, strengthen the brethren. 
See, we're all going through things. We're all going to fail God. We're all going to sin. We're all going to be sanctified is what it's called in a big fancy term. But it means becoming more like Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing if we're listening. If we're getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship, the Holy Spirit begins to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not something you can do. You can get in the way of it by sinning. By rejecting the word, by living your life for yourself, you can quench, grieve, and insult the Holy Spirit of promise, and you don't allow that work to go on. But listen, you can't stop it if you've truly given your life to Jesus. But what you can do is if you know you want to live for God, is you repent. And repentance doesn't always have tears. We're going to see that Peter cried. I believe that Judas cried. If you, if you miss the contrast of this, listen, Judas goes out and hangs himself. He could have repented, but guess what? His heart was this, and you're going to see it in Peter. His heart was always following at a great distance. His heart was never for Jesus. His heart was for himself. His heart, he was stealing out of the money bag. His heart was to gain what he could get in the world. His heart was to do his own thing. He never fully believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Because he never would give his heart. And right now, this is why this is so important. Because persecution is coming to America. It's going to come fast. It's going to come hard. It's going to be strong. And people tell me, oh, you shouldn't be saying that. Listen, if I don't warn you, then I'm going to be accountable in heaven for not telling you. I know it can be scary. But God is always on the throne. And when he brings suffering, persecution upon his people, that's because you're following close. If you're following at a distance right now and you don't bring your butt back close, you're going to deny him. You're not going to stand with him. You're not going to have the Holy Spirit to do that. Your heart is going to be trained on the wrong things, looking for what you can get out of it. That's what a selfish life is. Right now is the time to get right with Jesus Christ and to draw close and ask him for his wisdom and how we're going to live in these perilous times. Our only help is going to come from the Lord. Now, will the government, will the devil, will other people pretend to be help? Will they say, this is what you need? You need a vaccine. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do the other thing. Listen to me. Anybody except for this word of God and the spirit of God and the truth of God, I count it all suspect. I don't care who it is. You should count my sermon suspect. You should say, well, it sounds like it's lining up with the Word of God, and I was reading the Word of God, and it looks like it's the Word of God, and you should ask God, is it the Word of God? Is it the truth that you would want me to hear? And how should I respond to it? Because if I walk out of the building today and I don't respond to it, I let the devil steal the seed of the Word of God from me. It's going to be much worse. I'm not saying you get cast into hell, but you may. I believe that it's a continuing life. I believe that we continue to follow Christ. It's a day-to-day choice. It's a moment-to-moment choice. You can choose to walk away at any time you want to. Is it really difficult if you've been born again to walk away from Christ? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I believe it is. I believe it's one of the most hardest things you'll ever do. But I also believe the Bible addresses it. I believe the Bible addresses that you can. 
and then we can start to argue about whether you ever had it or but I'm not going to the most important thing is to stay in the center of his will and you never have to worry about those things you know when you get a job and you go to work and you're working and the boss comes and says well that's not what I asked you to do you don't keep doing it do you not if you want to keep your job so you begin to conform yourself to what they are paying you for. And make no mistake, the wages of sin is death. And if we train our hearts to ignore God's word like most of the church wants us to and to follow some tickle-your-ears gospel, you're leading your heart away from the truth of the gospel. And the longer you do that, the more you feel like you're okay because you're going to church or you're doing whatever you're doing. And, and then you begin to think you're okay when it's really a false sense of security. You're not really okay because you're being led further and further away from God in a religious system and you're using the wrong benchmark. The benchmark is, is am I becoming Christ-like? The benchmark is, is, am I being led by the Spirit of God? The benchmark is, is, am, is my life conforming to what this Word of God says? And if you're not reading, it, if you're not asking God about it, if you're not looking to do His work in His power for His glory, then you're probably following at a distance. And when you follow at a distance, it gets cold and you don't know for sure. So you begin to warm your hands by any fire that's there, any place you can warm your hands. And so here's Peter, who should have listened to what Christ said, and he doesn't. In his pride, he thinks he's okay. And he's like, ah, I think I can go and check out what's going on. I'm going to follow at a distance and watch what they do to him now that they've arrested him. And he had to follow all four Gospels to really get all of this. But Malchus, one of the servant girls lets him in because of John. You go to John, you find out. And John, John never mentions himself, but he says the one that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved, is always John. Not John the Baptist, not John Mark. We're in the book of Mark, but it's John who's on the island of Patmos. He writes, he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He writes the book of John. He writes the book of Revelation on the Lord's Day when he has the vision. And he's real young at this time. He's probably the one that, that uh, um, anyway, never mind. It's John. John means the grace of God. Jonathan means the grace of God. That's why it's important to us. And so... As we begin to look at this, he's following at a distance instead of suffering, just like he said he would. What's he doing? He's trying to live it and do it himself. He's trying to do it in his own power, in his own pride, in his own because of who he is instead of because of who Jesus is. And that's much of the church today. It's much of us today that we can fall into that. Instead of reading the Word of God and spending time in prayer, instead of having fellowship with God and others, instead of doing the work of the ministry and being concerned about the souls of other people, listen, isn't that what Jesus told him? When you return, strengthen your brethren. See, if we get our mind on that eternal perspective, that I am here right now to strengthen the brethren, the other people in the church. You're not here for yourself right now. You're here to learn how to disciple others. You're here to learn how to serve others. You're here to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. You're not here so that self can get better. Self needs to be in the grave. Jesus didn't come to make him better. He's our example. He came to save us. 
So then he says for us to get off our prideful thrones and get in the grave and die to self and begin to do it his way and we'll be able to serve others in love. See, Peter is like, I'm all in. And he's number one. Listen, Peter is number one. He's on the inside. Remember they go to the garden? It's Peter, James, and John. Well, Peter's the unofficial leader of Peter, James, and John. God told him, you're going to be a rock on, the, on, on, this, on this truth. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But he meant the words that he said. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the words he was going to build the church on. When you confess that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, then you're born again and you can begin to live for God. If you trust the spirit of God. So Peter is full of himself, although he has a heart, he wants to follow God. See the contrast. Judas, full of himself, he could care less about following Christ. He just wants what he can get out of it. He's stealing out of the money bag. He's picking on everybody. He's, he's saying, why did, you, why did you wash his feet with that perfume? We could have sold that for, for 300 denarii and given it to the poor. And all he's really doing is looking out for himself. See, self is what needs to die. That's why psychology is so bad. It wants to give you self-esteem. We don't need any more self-esteem. We need to be dead to self. The only good self is a dead self. I know that's, that flies in the face of what we learn in America because, well, it's actually the world, because the devil wants to build us up in our flesh and our self and conform our flesh, and God says nothing good dwells in the flesh. Nothing good because the flesh is sinful. That's why we need a new body. We're carrying this dead body around, but we need a new body in heaven. It's our spirit that God's after. Our spirit, if we know Jesus, is married to the spirit of God. And we need to listen and be led by the spirit. So there's a contrast there. Here's the hearts. Listen, Jesus, perfect Jesus obeying the Father even to the point of death. Jesus following perfectly, full of the Spirit without measure. Judas following the world. Judas doing for self. Judas is not living for Jesus. Then you got Peter, the third contrast. He wants to live for God, but he doesn't understand he can't do it in his own strength. He can't do it his own way. He can't make up the rules as he goes. He has to follow what Jesus tells him. So in order to get that pride and all of that out of him, God allows us to fail in our own strength. So when Peter says, not I, everybody else, but not I, in his pride, which is the original sin of the devil, well, some people argue whether it was pride or covetousness. You know, that's the Tenth Commandment. Not to covet and the law could be the first one that we should really think about. See, the devil wanted to be like the Most High God, coveting to be God. And in his pride, he began to move forward with that action. So coveting is, we think, oh, it's not bad to want stuff. You want to bet? If you train your heart to want more all the time, instead of being content in your pride, you might go get it and end up in a pit of hell. So anyway, pride or covetous, wanting to be the leader, Peter in the wrong place, trying to do it in his own strength, his own power, his own way. He says, even if all these here, looking at all the other men, even if they fail you, Jesus, I'm going to stick with you. And he, remember, he gets a sword. He's got a sword. He cuts Malchus's ear. He's trying in his own strength to do this thing. But you can't do it in your own strength. That's called religion. 
It'll lead you away from God. That's why the only way is to surrender to the work of God, the Holy Spirit that he sent back to do the work. You surrender. What do you do then? You follow the rules. He says, get in the word, prayer, and fellowship and begin to obey me. If, if you turn your heart toward, so, so Peter wants to do it. He's trying to do it, but he won't get out of the way, and his pride gets in the way. So God allows that pride to be broken. And we're going to see that now as we read again, 66 through 72. We're going to see Peter and uh, what Jesus told him would happen comes exactly as it happens. And he learns this lesson that you have to listen to the word of God. You can't, I mean, he knows the future. He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen to you next week. He knows everything about the future. So the important thing is to listen to God to be led by his spirit, not to make up your own plans for life, not to listen to the government who's trying to lead you to worship the devil. Now, Peter was below. Where's Jesus at? He's above. Listen, these are, these are typologies. We'll cover it in a minute. Now, Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them, but he denied it again. A little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when, when he thought about it, he wept. Let's pray. Father, Help us to clearly see and discern the work you're doing in Peter here and the work that you're doing in us. Lord, that you would be able to remove self from us and help us to see clearly um, how to walk in the Spirit, how to worship in spirit and truth, how to do the work of the ministry with your power and might, with your tools, how to go out and be fishers of men according to to your kingdom, for your glory. That, Lord, we would not be deceived by religion, by the works of the flesh, by the devil. And that we would have a true love relationship with you that's real and personal. Pour out your spirit upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, we're all born sinners. We all have pride. We all have sin in our life. Listen. The problem is the pride and the covetousness. It's not the sin. Oh, boy, that was a crazy statement. Listen, Christ already paid for your sin so that you can run this race. What you have to deal with is getting the word of God into you and learn again as a little child to follow the truth and be led by the Spirit. The sin will go away. You won't, if you're being led by the Spirit, who is perfect, it's Christ, it's His Spirit, and you're following the word of God, the sin is going to go away instantly. The problem is, is we want everybody to focus on their sin and then go, how do I deal with it? Well, you deal with it with Jesus. No, if you believe in Jesus, your sin's already dealt with. 
Your flesh has no more power over you. The problem is, is your mind doesn't get that, and you keep trying to deal with your sin instead of just learn to obey and follow. When you obey and follow, the sin problem goes away because you're obeying and following. And if you're following the Spirit, there's no sin in Him. There's no darkness in Him. So we always get it upside downward, and that's much like the world. They make up AA programs. They make up all these programs. They have all of their little gurus. They have their leaders, and then we're always trying to do mimic what that person's doing to stay sober. Listen, the problem is not drinking. The problem is sin. The problem is not sin or drinking. It. The problem is the authority of your life. Who are you following? If you get your eyes fixed upon the guru in AA, you're following him. If you get your eyes fixed upon the government, you're following the government. Where does your help come from? It has to come from Jesus. And he sent his spirit back to take his word and wash us and cleanse us. And so as you're led by the spirit of God, you're being led away from the lies and you're following truth. You can't just go to church and think everything's going to be perfect. No more than you could think if I go to McDonald's, I can stand in there and become a cheeseburger. It doesn't happen. You have to go and do what God has called you to do. Our focus has to be on His work for His glory, for His kingdom. And that's a death to self. Because you know what we want to do? We want to go have fun. We want to go sit on the couch and watch TV and, and enjoy the carnival. We want to follow what the world is doing instead of follow what the Holy Spirit is doing. So it's a perspective that needs to be changed. Peter thinks he's already got it figured out, but he's, remember, he's following the culture. Well, not the culture of the Roman world, but of what he was raised in, in Judaism. He's following what they were taught falsely by their rabbis, their teachers, that you find a teacher and you follow him and you do what he says and then you'll be godly. Well, we do the same thing in the church today. We raise up rock star pastors. We raise up all these people. We follow them and we forget that we're supposed to be having a love relationship with Jesus, being led by the Spirit. And Paul said, follow me while I follow God. I mean, I think the inference is, is that you follow a man. If you're following that man, you don't follow them when they're not being godly. You have to remember always that your relationship is with Christ. You're being led by the Holy Spirit, taught by the Holy Spirit. If I say anything up here that makes sense to you and you receive in your heart, it's because of the Holy Spirit, not because of me. I'm just operating in my gift, and we all have gifts, and we're all the body of Christ. Nobody is more important than anybody else. The ground is level at the cross. So now Peter, watch this. Peter was below. Jesus is up above. He's in the courtroom. He's up there at a hearing. He's up there being beaten and mocked and spit upon. At a false trial. Where's my other page? There it is. At a false trial. He, he, he had been following at a distance. He's below warming his hands by the fire. I thought I had this word. Let me look. Below. It's beneath in the King James. Listen, it's downwards. It's bottom. It's under. That's where he's going. See, because now he's falling at a distance. Now he's warming his hands at the fire. So he's going downward. 
He's spiraling out of control because he don't know what to do because he's confused. He's like, what is going on here? Remember this, and we use it, I use it in funerals every time I do a funeral, but it's John 14. John 14. See, Jesus knew they were going to strike the shepherd, and then the sheep were going to scatter, and they were going to be in distress. They were going to be confused. They'd be going, what's going on here? And John 14, he says, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't, don't let it be worried. Don't be anxious. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would told you. And, and where I go, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. See, and, and we use it in a funeral about somebody dying and going to heaven, and they've got a home there. But really, Jesus was using it as comfort in the night when they were going to be in distress because he was arrested. He really used it and said, don't, don't freak out. On the other side of this, you're going to be with me. But right now, we have to go through this battle. And in your life, it's the same thing. See, Peter's going to go through this. He's going to go through the denials to remove the pride, to remove the world, to remove his own strength. But he said, when you come back, strengthen the brothers. You teach them what you learn in the lesson of life as you listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, could he have helped himself? He could have said, ooh, are you serious, Jesus? How about if we back up then? How about if we back up just for a minute? They're all going to deny you, and so am I. Now, what do we do? I need some wisdom here so that I don't have to do this. See, whatever you're facing in life, just stop and ask God what to do. He says, if you ask for wisdom, I'll give it to you liberally and without reproach. But don't ask if you're not planning on using it because you're double-minded. And let that man not think that he would receive anything. See, when you have made up your mind to follow Jesus, whatever he says is good because he knows the future. You don't go, nah, I don't like that, Jesus. I think I'll go get some more advice. Really? There's no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. Why would you not follow his advice? It's always perfect. It's always right. He's for you. He's not against you. He died to get you to heaven. It's the devil that's lying to us and telling us that all this other stuff is his fault. It's the devil that's lying to us and saying, oh, he's mad at you because of your sin. He ain't mad at you because of your sin. He died for your sin. He's not surprised by your actions. He knew what Peter was going to do. He knew there was going to be a denial three times before the rooster crows. And what he wanted Peter to know, and Peter learns this. Peter, I already know everything. I'm God. Why are you wrestling with my counsel? Why are you wrestling with my word? Why are you wrestling with my salvation and my deliverance? Why are you still wrestling with sin when I've set you free? And all you have to do is follow. But yet we all do this because we're flesh and blood. But we don't have to do it the way we're doing it. We can get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. We can begin to get involved in his ministry of reconciliation of souls and ask him, find out what it is we're supposed to be doing, and then we quit destroying our own life and quit fighting against God. So Peter is below. You know, the word comes from, the word below actually comes from the word Hades, which means hell. It's derived from that. And that's important to know because if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, I didn't get there last lesson, but I want to get there today. Ephesians chapter 2 will begin in verse 4. If you have your Bibles with you, and I would encourage you to always bring a Bible, because that's where we're going to be at, because this is the words of life, and we want to understand that it says it in the Bible, not just somebody's opinion. Jesus right now is seated in heavenly places. He's in heaven. It's finished, but 
we are seated with him. We're seated there with him positionally. When you believe in Jesus, you get everything that he got. And right now he's seated at the right hand of the power on high. And so now that's where you and I personally are futuristically. God already sees it finished. But practically, what are we? We're below. We're down here. We can now choose to warm our hands by the fire and follow at a distance, or we can choose to follow close behind. We're down here below. He's up there. But he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. What was he doing when he was going on trial? And they were going, tell us, are you the son of the living God? He was interceding for us. He was the innocent son of God. He was there in that courtroom, in that trial, in that battle, in the darkness for us, just like he is now. He's interceding at the right hand for us. And we're still below. Practically, we have to walk it out down here. But presently, we have an advocate with the Father who is above. And he's already went through every bit of it and has went to the other side and is now seated on power. So we know that we can finish this race because if we're in Christ, we're with him. We get to be with him. Now look what it says, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. Boy, ain't you glad that he's rich in mercy? I don't know about you guys, but I need his mercy every day. Every day. Mercy, mercy is not getting what we deserve. I mean, if we got what we deserve, it's complete death, cast into hell. And God says, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And yet we don't pray. This is not for condemnation. This is to wake us up. This is not to be mean. Oh, he's beating the sheep. He's telling us we don't pray. No, I'm trying to wake us up. So that we understand God's force, not against us. The world wants to tell us that he's not even real. Much less that he's mad at us. God, who is rich in mercy. Why? Because of his great love. Keep on that word love. Love is the most important thing here. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But these three abide. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is love. Keep that in mind. Love is the greatest thing. Because of his great love, he gives us mercy and he doesn't kill us. Which was, with which he loved us, this is verse 4, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Remember, I tell people this all the time, you were born dead. We were born dead. What do you mean? You get life when you come out of the womb. No, you're born dead. You're born dead in your trespasses, dead in your sin. You go to hell, you're born dead because of sin and the sin nature. We were dead in our trespasses, and he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, delivered from the sin nature, and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. So if we believe in the blood of Jesus and our sins have been paid for, positionally, in God's eyes, he sees us seated, finished, and Inherited everything already with Christ in heaven. But we know practically, right? We're just like Peter. We're down here below. And we've got a choice to make. Are we going to follow at a distance? Or are we going to follow close behind? Are we going to warm our hands at the world's fires, the enemy's fires, and think we're going to be okay? Or are we going to draw near to God so that he can draw near to us? If you follow at a distance and you warm your hands at the fires, listen, 
you will deny Christ when it comes time to stand. If you follow closely, you will suffer persecution. Through much suffering shall you enter the kingdom of God. These are biblical principles that are not taught in the church because we teach a crossless gospel. If you follow closely, the world will hate you. They hated Christ. How much more will they hate you if you keep talking about him? Now, don't get me wrong. When you go out and you share Christ with people, those that are coming to salvation, they don't get mad at you. They go, what was that you said? They hear it. They go, oh, and God's drawing them because the Holy Spirit is here convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. And they begin to listen and they go, are you serious? I go, yeah, I'm serious. Jesus loves you. And, and that's how you know the difference. When you begin to share Christ and somebody is resistant, you don't always have to give up. But you need to be cautious because you could be casting your pearls before swine. You could be speaking to somebody that's, that, that, that is not going to get saved. They don't want to hear it. Or you could just be speaking to somebody that it's not their time yet. So you want to be real cautious because when you make that judgment that they're a swine and you stop telling them, that's pretty judgmental. That You're judging their eternal character. And nobody can do that except for God. But you need to be cautious and see and ask God for wisdom. What to say, when to say it, who to say it to. If they're resistant, you move on. But you don't always have to stop. Listen, we're seated with Christ. We're below right now. I'll just finish reading this because I love this. We're sit, we sit together in heavenly places with Christ, uh, Ephesians 2, 7. That why, why are we seated there? Why are we in this position that in the ages to come, the future, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. See, because that's what grace means. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what he wants you to show the world. His riches at Christ's expense. Christ died, we don't have to die. Christ lives, we get to live. But we need to be showing it as witnesses in this grand courtroom. We need to be showing that we actually are saved. Standing in the righteousness of God. Uh, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness, his love toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourself. It's not in your strength, Peter. You have to get rid of that. It is a gift of God, the greatest gift ever given. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. You can see Peter boasting. I had a sword. You guys didn't have one. I told him I'd never leave. You can see Peter walking on the water and then turning his eyes and he sinks. Listen to me. Now we can see Peter in the garden denying him because he was doing all of it in his own pride. Oh, there was times when there was the Holy Spirit there because when he stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water, Peter couldn't do that. Only God could do that in Peter. Only the Holy Spirit could do that work. And then he got his eyes and look what I'm doing, guys. And boy, he started to sink. So it's this work that we're doing when we're trying to learn to allow the Holy Spirit to lead the moment. The Holy Spirit to guide and direct. The Holy Spirit to teach as we're doing right now. Because what we do in our own self, well, you know what I did. I led 117 people to the Lord last month. Got the notches right here in my belt to show it. That's boasting in self. We don't, we're not to boast in anybody but the Lord. See, that's pride. That's what God wants to get out of us. You know, and this is why I say you have to study the Old Testament. You can't jettison the Old Testament. It's the foundation. You know what God did when he delivered the children out of Israel? Or excuse me, the children out of Egypt? Pharaoh's a type of the devil. 
Egypt is a type of the world. He delivered them out of, through the Red Sea, they were baptized. They went into the wilderness. What did he do then? He began to take Egypt out of them. They were so used to being in Egypt, they wanted the garlics, leeks, and the onions. They were so used to being in Egypt, they wanted to keep doing what they were doing. And God began to take Egypt out of them. And it's the same thing with you. We were so used to living in sin, in the flesh, in the world, following the government and their education systems. And now when you come out, you're baptized into Christ by the Spirit of God. He wants to begin to take the world out of you. This is not our home. This is not the way God trains his children. This is the way the devil trains his children. The government is not our friend. We're just commanded to obey them as long as they don't ignore God, as long as they don't tell you to do something against God. Because we're trying to be at peace with all people as far as we're able. But as soon as they start telling you stuff that does not line up with the word of God, God says, follow me. And you better do it close behind because suffering and persecution is coming. If you do it at a distance, you will not stand. You will deny me. So where's your relationship at today? Now, don't, don't, don't be freaked out because, look, we've got these examples of these great. These are the apostles. We're the B team. These are the apostles. These guys were with Jesus literally for three and a half years, and still they backslide. Still they deny him. But God's going to come to him and restore him. Unlike with Judas, Judas Judas in his own grief, there's no hope because he had no relationship. He goes out and hangs himself. And then we hear Christ say in John 17, none were lost except the son of perdition. See, as long as you got breath, you can come back to Jesus. When you're being convicted of your lifestyle, when you're, be, when you're learning new truth of how you should be living and how you should be walking, you can't follow the same stale old culturanity that just says, say a prayer and you're okay. Really? Where's that in the Bible? It's not biblical. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And I believe that's a continuing thing that keeps going on. If the Spirit of God is in you, why would it ever stop? Oh, because they're going to threaten us, they're going to persecute us, we're going to have suffering. Why would it stop then? They did it to Jesus, and he didn't stop. The only thing he didn't do, he didn't answer all their lies. He didn't even argue with them about all their lying accusations about who he was. But when they directly said, are you the son of the blessed? He said, yeah, I am. He's under oath. He's in a courtroom. He has to tell the truth. Was it against the law? It was against their own law to self-incriminate himself. Then they used that as evidence and said he blasphemed. Listen, you can't win when you're fighting the devil. Only thing you can do is live with Christ and be blessed for it. You're not going to win by, by, by saying, okay, I agree, LGBT is okay, go ahead and do it. No, you need to celebrate it with us. Oh, that's the only way we're going to get by this? Unions weren't enough? Now you want to take marriage? And now i got to celebrate and make you a cake while you do it? i got to enjoy your sin with you? I don't think so. But see, that's what the devil is going to tell you. In every situation, you've got to be re-educated. You've got to be relearned. You've got to find out what our truth is because your truth ain't right. Really? My truth is Jesus. He created everything. I'm standing on that. I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to re-educate me. You can kill me, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm not going anywhere. There's male and female. Why? Because the book of Genesis tells me God created them man and woman. 
Well, now that's pretty uh, narrow-minded. Uh, no, your mind is full of the devil. You want to tell me something that's against God's word and you think I'm going to believe it? Uh, there's climate change. No, there's not. The world is wearing out. It was made to wear out. Your body was made to wear out. Everything is made to wear out. This is not our home. This is not permanent. This is a testing ground to find out if you're going to follow truth or follow yourself. Are you going to follow the devil or are you going to follow God? There's really only two roads. You've got to make that choice. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we're, you can't get saved by works. You can't do a bunch of stuff and boast about it. But he goes on to say in there in verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. True faith produces good works. You can't be saved by them. Now you can, all, you can get prideful about them if you start doing them. So you always have to stay in that place of humility before the throne of God. But we're created for good works, but it's God's works to see souls saved. God's work to be a witness for Him. What did He create you for? His workmanship is the word, the Greek word poema. We get our word poem from it. See, we're works in progress. God's writing a poem with your DNA. He's writing a poem with your life. And it isn't finished yet until you see him face to face. But he created you specifically for something. And the reason you're not happy and content and blessed the way you should be is because you're doing something else. You're believing some other voice. You need to find out what God called you for, enter into doing that, and understand that that's where your satisfaction comes from. I was, I was in the front of a hearse the other day, and I... I love to get funeral directors like that and talk to them about Jesus. I'm sorry, I like to do that. I'm a mean guy. And I said, you ever heard of uh, Mick Jagger? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Because everybody's heard of Mick Jagger, right? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But you haven't heard the beginning of Mick Jagger, have you? You haven't heard why he wrote, I can't get no satisfaction, have you? See, Mick Jagger was being raised up to be the next great orator in the church. He was going to be a preacher of the gospel. He was raised in the church. And he liked to play soccer. And he got hit in the face with a soccer ball. And he bit the tip of his tongue off. So he began to talk with a little bit of a lisp. And they go, oh, Mick, this is not good. You're not going to be able to be the next orator talking like that. So he dropped out of church and got a night job and started a rock band. And he wrote a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. He put the serpent all the way down his body, a tattoo. And he said, I can't get no satisfaction. But I try and I try. I can't get no. And he went down in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But it's because he knows he's separated from God. Now, he could repent. But the reason he writes that song is because nothing can satisfy you except for God. You were created to worship Him. You're created to be in Him. He's given you things to do for Him. And you find your most blessedness. We sometimes call it happiness. You find your contentment in doing what God created you for. And you can only find that as you come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you begin to build that love relationship. And you realize that you do that with His strength. You ever get one of them chainsaws and you put regular gas in it and burn it up instead of putting the mixture in it? You ever do something silly like that? I have. I put, I put uh, regular gas in my diesel once. It doesn't run right. 
And see, that's what most Christians are trying to do. They're trying to live their Christian life using the wrong power, using their own strength, their own might. They're trying to use, they're trying to use their earthly education. And, and they went to seminary or something, and somebody taught them something about the Bible. But they don't understand that it's the Holy Spirit that's their power. Their strength comes from their relationship and in walking in what God has given them to walk in. You can't use some other power and accomplish it. What you'll end up doing is following at a distance. You'll know it in your heart. And you end up denying him. You won't be able to stand. The only way to stand is in his grace, his strength, his might. So Peter is below, back in our text, Mark 14, 66, in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. One of the other texts said Jesus of Galilee. See, because Nazareth is in the region of Galilee. And so they say it in a little bit of a different way. And in, in the book of Mark, remember, we have a Roman audience, a Gentile audience, so they don't go into some of the details of things that the other Gospels go into because they had much more spiritual significance to the people that were listening. And the Romans wouldn't understand it at that time. But he denied it. He didn't betray him. He just denied it. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then to the Greek. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you know who you serve? It's a good time to find out because persecution's coming. Listen, they're, they're, going, they're killing America. They want to kill morality. They're talking about unity because they're from the devil. We're going to have unity. I'm the president for everybody, not just those who voted for me. Nobody voted for you, you imbecile. You already said it in one of your rallies where eight people showed up. I don't need you to vote for me. Just support me after I'm in office. Listen to me. It's the demonic delusion or some could say it's, it's a delusion that God has brought. But he yelled about unity and then signed 17 executive orders to destroy America. None of the orders were good for America. All of them were against America. They were all for illegal aliens and criminals. They were all to defund the police. They were all to kill babies. They were all to allow men into women's sports and locker rooms. These were, these, these were evil. Listen, listen, lots of people say they know Jesus, but how are they living their life? Lots of people declare they're going to do good things, and if you're asleep, you'll think that they're telling you the truth, and then they go and do bad things. The important thing is what's in a man's heart. God is after your heart. God is looking for your heart. He doesn't want your body. He wants your heart. Because it's your heart that's going to go live. It's used synonymously with your soul. It's your mind, will, and emotions. It's going to go live with God for eternity or be separated from God for eternity. You are a soul in a body, not a body with a soul. You are a soul forever, either with God or separated from God. And today is the day to make the decision. You don't have to be perfect in any of it because Christ has already been perfect for you. He paid for your sin for you, but you have to choose this day who you're going to follow, and then you let him lead you. You're going to mess up. Peter allowed it. Peter followed. Peter was fishing, and then he denied Christ. We're seeing this here. He says, 
68, he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. Again, they're not supposed to in the city, so he must have heard it in a distance. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by. Now she's not talking to Peter. She's saying it to other people. Look, here's one of his guys. This is one of them. But he denied it again. A little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely now they're saying it. Think about this. They're all talking about it. They're pointing it out. They're coming after him. Wake up. They're coming. Listen, if you do not celebrate their agenda, the devil's agenda in this world, because the whole world lies ready to sway the wicked one, you are going to be in trouble on this world. You have to celebrate their immorality. It's not enough that we give somebody gay marriage. They want you to celebrate it with them. It's not enough that they're killing children. They want you to celebrate it with them and say that abortion is fine and pay for it with your tax dollars. Listen to me. You've got to see this stuff. It's not enough to say that the police are bad. They want to defund them and get rid of them. How's that going to work out for you? That's really, that's really where evolution comes from. Think about it. The strong survive. Because if they ain't no police, I don't know who's going to protect them. They were crying like babies when somebody stormed the Capitol. Get us 25,000. Help us. They're attacking us. Well, what was you doing when they were attacking other cities? Smiling and laughing. Get rid of all the guns, but don't get rid of the guns that are protecting me. See, it doesn't make sense. You can follow confusion all you want. I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't care what they say one way or the other about the end of the day. I care about what Jesus is telling me to say to them because I'm being a witness, and a witness just speaks up to what he sees. And if you're in the throne room, you're going to see some truth, and then you see truth, you tell other people about it. But I ain't perfect. Nobody's perfect except for Jesus, and we'll be like him when we see him. So he says, again, verse 70, he had denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you're one of them. Why? For you are a Galilean. They noticed he was a Galilean, and your speech shows it. What are you talking about? Listen, talking about his dialect. I mean, you don't have to be with me very long. To know that I didn't go to college and learn how to speak grammar. I'm from Kentucky. I like to say that as a joke. I'm from Kentucky, so I can make Kentuckian jokes. I butcher the English language. And, and somebody that's educated, I wouldn't be in the room for them very long, and they would go, the dude's uneducated. Really? I know Jesus. Do you? I bet I can tell you more about truth than you know with all your education, because the world's not educating them in Jesus. The world's not telling them about a relationship with Jesus. The world's building them up in the pride that Jesus is trying to take out of us. The world's giving them earthly, central, demonic wisdom, and we're, spend, we're supposed to be spending time in the present of wisdom. Wisdom came and saved us. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And there is no wisdom or counsel against God. So I, I can sometimes feel a little bit intimidated, but if I can talk about Jesus, I'm not intimidated about anything. Let me talk about Jesus, because I know Jesus. I know my Savior. I've been studying His Word. I've been spending time with Him. I know I am a sinner. I know I need stuff taken out of me still, but I, I know where my help comes from. I sat back there in the chair listening to music going, boy, I don't know what I'm going to say to these people. 
But I've been studying. I've been looking. I've been asking God. And I trust the Holy Spirit when I walk up here. The Holy Spirit knows what you need to hear. But his speech betrayed him. The Galileans would come from an uneducated place. They weren't educated. See, they, the reason these boys are Jesus' disciple in the first place is because all the smart kids got chosen by the other teachers. See, because they would go to school, and by the time they were, I think it was 12, they had already separated them out, the smart ones. And these guys have been told to go back home. Nobody wants to teach you. So they're back out fishing. They're back out doing plowing. They're back out making yokes. They're doing the menial jobs. Why is it so important? Because Jesus picks from the back of the line. He comes along and they're fishing. He says, hey, follow me. Hey, follow me. And he's picking the people that were not picked by the famous teachers of the day. He's picking the ones that the schools of the higher learning wouldn't pick. The only one of all of them that ever went to school and learned anything was Judas. And he betrayed him with a kiss. He's the only one that went to Hebrew high. So they know for sure by how he spoke, by the words he used. You can't hang out with the world. You can't warm your hands by the enemy's fire if you're really living for Jesus because your speech is going to tell on your actions. So what does he do? He tries to pretend like he's one of them. He begins to curse and swear. Now, before you too mean with Peter, this doesn't mean what we call cursing and swearing today, you know, where we use a bunch of foul words. He was just started taking oaths and swearing. I didn't know them. I'm not one of them. He took an oath, you know, like, may my foot fall off if, if I'm one of them. You know, he didn't say F you and all those crazy words that you might say to somebody to try to get them to get out of your face. He just began to curse and to swear. Let me tell you what it means. Uh, curse means to bind under a curse or an oath, to, to declare under the penalty of excommunication. So he just said, if I am, then may this happen to me. And swear means, again, to take or declare an oath. You know, he wasn't really cussing up a storm like we might think he was doing. And he said, I do not know this man of whom you, are, of whom you speak. And a second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he, when he thought about it, he wept. In Luke, it says that when the rooster crowed that his eyes met Jesus. So they must have been leading him back out. And that's really when, when, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, when you're doing something you know is not right. It really, it, it removes the favor of God's eyes from you until you repent. When you repent, he brings you back. It, it's just as if you never sinned again. See, because right now, sin does not separate you from God. It se separates you from your relationship growing. It separates you from the Spirit of God working. If you stay in sin and practice sin and you don't give up that sin, if you don't repent and confess that it's sin, you keep the power of God out of your life. That's why it's so important to quickly confess your sin. It doesn't change God. God's the same always. It helps your relationship. It opens the flow of blessing and the favor of God from heaven. When you say, you're right, your word says, and I was wrong. Forgive me, Lord. And you might have to go apologize to people. I tell people, be real quick to apologize. You'll quit saying it like that if you quickly to apologize because you'll get sick of humbling yourself. You'll learn to control your tongue so you don't have to go back and apologize again. 
He wept. Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He's seen his sin. Don't miss this. He didn't deny, I mean, he didn't betray Christ. He just denied him. This is sin. He's lying. I don't know him. These are lies. All lies come from the devil. He's the father of all lies. There's no such thing as a good little white lie. He's the father of all lies. So he's actually sinning. And you think, well, that wasn't very bad. All he did was lied. Why is he weeping? He didn't kill anybody. He didn't do anything like we see other people doing. And so you might think that that's a good thing. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I'm okay with God. No. One little sin separates you from God. And the only way to be right with God is for you to receive his payment of his blood. The only way to be right with God is to receive his righteousness, which he gives you freely as a gift when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's that simple. You know the problem with us? We want to do some work. The problem with us, if you told me to go climb a mountain and then jump off a cliff and then swim an ocean, I would try to do that to be saved. But just tell me in my pride that just believe. That's all you got to do. Just trust that God already did it. And it can be yours. Every false religion tells you to do work. The true Christ tells you, just believe that I died for you because I loved you. I love you that much. Now, this would be a sad place to end this text if we ended it right here. But he's talking to the Romans. See, I want to go over to John, which was written about 35 years later. John 21, go over there with me. Let's look at what happens. After his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus had told them to go to Galilee. Go back home and wait on me. They're freaking out. Think about Peter now. Not only did he flee, not only did he run, he tried to cut off an ear. He didn't get it done. He thought he could do it in his own strength. He's in sin. He's lied. He's going, ah! And he goes and he hides. They think they're going to be arrested still because everybody's pointing at him and pointing at him and pointing at him. And he says, that's it. I'm going fishing. It's John 21. Wait a minute. That means he's backslidden completely. He's below. Because Jesus called him away from earthly duties of fishing, which is what he was. He was a fisherman. And he says, you'll no longer fish for fish, but you'll be fishers of men. Follow me. And in his confusion, in his flesh, in his own strength, the only thing he knows to do is go back to the natural. Go back to the normal. i got to find something here. You know, when my wife was sick in the hospital last year, that's the only thing I could do. I came to preach. People looked at me funny. Five Sundays in a row, every other moment I was with my wife in the hospital. But I came to preach. I said, I've got to find some normal in this because I know I'm called to preach. And I'm going to do what God called me to do. I'll preach for you. No thanks. I'm going to go do this. Do what God calls you to do. Don't let the affairs of life keep you from doing what God called you to do. No matter what's going on in life, no matter what the storm is, you're still supposed to stand for Christ. People got saved at the hospital because we were still standing for Christ. Listen, in the storm... And this is a great place for us to see is that in his pride, he backslid. In his life, he backslid. All of them followed him. He's a, he's a natural leader that God has chosen. God trained him to be the leader. They're all following him, so they all go backslidden with him because he's the leader. 
and he's out fishing. And Jesus comes to him in the morning. And he says, I'm just paraphrasing because of time, and I'm going to get to verse 15 with you, John 21, 15. He says, little children, have you caught anything? And they go, "Uh uh-uh. See, you can't catch nothing being backslidden. You can't catch nothing quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get nothing to feed yourself with in your own strength. But if you begin to trust the Lord, so what does he tell them to do? He says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. On the right side, actually, the text says. Not the wrong side. I know there's right and left, but this is the wrong and the right that we're looking at. Are you living in your strength or in God's strength? The wrong strength or the right strength? Are you living for Jesus or for yourself? Are you living right or wrong? Nothing good in self. They cast it on the other side and they get a huge catch of fish. Why is that important? Once again, just like when he first called them, it's morning. Nobody fished in the daylight. The fish can see their great big bulky nets. They fished at night when the fish couldn't see the nets that were huge and bulky. Yet, both times, they catch a huge catch of fish in the daylight. So John says, one of the God, he says, it's the Lord. So Peter dives in the water. I mean, he still wants to follow Jesus. He don't know what happened, but he knows Jesus said, when you return, strengthen the brothers. So he's ready to return. He's learning a lot through his stumbling and his failing because he's keeping his eyes upon God. It's the Lord. The others come in, and he's already got a fire going. Think about it. Peter's been warming his hands at the fire of the enemy. He's been following at a distance. He's wanting to get back close to Jesus. He runs to his fire. Jesus has already cooked some bread and some fish, and he's saying, sit down and have fellowship. Bring some of your fish over here. So the guys, the other ten are struggling with the net. And Peter goes and grabs it all by himself and drags it to the shore. Because he's zealous for God. He wants to live for God, but he's been trying to do it his own way. And here again, we hear reminded, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will hear my voice... And open the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And Jesus is cooking them a meal. He's going to provide for your food. He's going to provide for all of your needs. He's going to have a meal. There's a fire to warm your hands by that's in his house. You don't have to follow at a distance and warm your hands at the enemy's house. You'll always deny him. But you can stand if you're in close fellowship with him. But make no mistake, there's going to be persecution. He's even going to tell him about it in this text. He tells him that he's going to be crucified. He tells Peter that. Let's just read it, verse 15. And this is really him restoring Peter. Peter denied him three times, so he's going to restore him three times to remind him. He's going to let it not scar him, but teach him a great lesson of where his strength should come from. 15, so when they had eaten breakfast. Have you had a meal with Jesus lately? He says, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can sit down and eat breakfast with him every single morning when you get up. Believe me, I met with him this morning. He was sitting there. I warmed my hands by his fire. I said, Lord, what should I say to the people today? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, 
Simon Bar-Jonah, Bar means son. Do you love me more than these? What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Lots of people say, oh, he's talking about, he's all about, he could be talking about anything. But he says, do you love me more than these? And I can see Jesus. You know what he's doing? He's pointing at the other disciples. See, he's trying to get to the end of Peter's pride. When everybody else denied him, Peter said, I won't if they all do. I'm greater than all them. I'm not going to deny you, Lord. And he says, do you love me more than these? Because Peter thought he loved God more than the others. He thought because he walked on water, he had loved them more. He thought he was greater than the others. See, the ground is level at the cross. This is something that man does. This pulpit and this, this thing that we stand on, man did that as we walked away from God. In Revelation, God says, I hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Why is that important? Nico means above. Laetan means the laity. I hate the work, the doctrine that man teaches that makes them above the rest of the men. See, we're all at the same level at the cross. We're all sinners that need a Savior. And if we get saved, we're sinners that saved by grace. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when man makes all these fancy buildings and these stages to go up on, and we put somebody teaching in front, and we try to make them greater than anybody else, that's false. We all have different gifts in the body of Christ. And we all should have a personal relationship. We should all be like John, really. John really believed that Jesus loved him more than anybody else. I always say that about my wife, that she's God's favorite. John really thought that God loved him so much he felt like he was the favorite. And in this, when you read the book of John, you see the disciple that Christ loved. Because that's the way he felt. Because when he was in God's presence, he just knew the love of God. Love is so very important here. What's this word here? He says to Simon a word that we, Simon wouldn't even know really. Do you agape me more than these? See, God wants us to put him first and foremost in everything. First and foremost. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And now you can't see this in the English, but if you were to get a Greek lexicon or Strong's Dictionary, you'll see that Jesus said, do you agape me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I phileo you. He used a different word for love. It was a lower word. There's about four words that's used. Eros is one that we get erotica, and there's only a variation of it used one time in the Bible. But then there's the word uh, agape, which is unconditional love that's always used only for mankind. It's only used for the souls of people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a, it's a, it's a self-sacrificing, unconditional, give yourself away love agape is. And that's what Jesus just said. Do you unconditionally love me? Well, Peter's learning that, boy, I need to be careful with these boasts because I boasted. Now I denied him three times. I was not only prideful in thinking that I loved him more than these men did, but, whoa, I need to be careful what I say. Well, you know I filioli you, Lord. We get the word brotherly love from that word, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's a kind of lower type of love. 
So eros is for erotica. It's kind of a sexual love. That's the only one that we talk about in our world today. So when you say, I love cheeseburgers and I love my wife, see, those are two totally different things. See, there's another word in the Greek for loving cheeseburgers. It's the word storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. That's an object of love. You love an object. Eros, erotica. Filio, brotherly love, a love that's um, used in relationships but never rises to the level of only souls and unconditionality. So Jesus says, do you agape me? He says, you know I phileo you. And he said, if you do, feed my lambs. And lambs is the diminutive. It means little sheep, little born-again ones. Feed them, which means to help them graze and keep them and protect them. Remember, he told him, when you return to me, strengthen the brethren. Listen, the only call that we have is to strengthen others. You know, right now, that's what the world's trying to keep us from doing. That's what the devil's trying to keep us from doing. You know, in, in Hebrews, we're told to consider one another in order to stir up love and good deeds and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. That day is coming. It's coming really quick. And all we're called to do is strengthen others, to tell others, to, to be a witness to others in our actions, in our words, in our deeds. And, and we're supposed to direct them to Jesus because we can't do anything in our flesh. All we can do is point them to the one who can save them from everything and give them a future and a hope. And you can't do it by warming your hands at the enemy's fire and following at a distance and pretending. So he says, give yourself away. 16, he says again, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep, guide them, tend them. Tend really in the King James is feed again, but it means to, to spend more time with them, to help supervise them and shepherd them. So he's really recommissioning Peter to lead them again. He's, he, he, he's showing him the forgiveness. He's, he's helping him to learn the lesson. And here's the beauty of all of it. And this is, this is more, the sheep here is more like uh, growing lambs, lambs that are growing. Because there's different levels of growth. There's, there, there, there's babies, there's, there's people, just like with our, our physical life, you, you start out baby and you're crawling and you begin to walk. Then you learn to be mature and get a job and all those things. And it's the same thing with Christianity. You, find, you, you grow up, you begin to learn what my gifting is, how to be Christ-like, how to be a witness, how to help others and strengthen them. And that's what we're supposed to be growing toward. And then in 17, and the one that we love the most, because Christ always meets us where we're at. He's not asking you to bring yourself up to Him. He's already taken us there positionally. He's coming down to earth. That's what Christianity is about. Religion teaches us to go up to heaven. Christianity teaches us that God come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us. He came down here for us and died for us. So watch this, what happens in verse 17. 
He does it three times because Peter denied him three times. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Isn't that cool? He stopped using the agape, the unconditional. Peter was staying in this place where he couldn't come up to what he was saying. And Peter was grieved. It distressed him. This is freaking him out because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. See that? See what he learned in all this? That he knows all things. Because he told him. Peter, quit boasting in your pride. Before the rooster crows twice this night, you're going to deny me three times. Peter didn't even know what was going to happen in the next 20 minutes, and the Lord told him all about it. And he comes to restore him, and he goes, why are you asking me this? You know all things. See, they're reasoning together, and that's what God wants to do with you. Well, he already knows the decision. Wait a minute. He wants to reason with you. He wants a relationship with you. My wife knows I've been at work all day when I come home, and she goes, how was work? And I'm like, Oh, my goodness, this means she wants me to talk. Think about it. I mean, seriously, it's called a relationship. So I have to respond. And then we're communicating like two human beings are supposed to, and we can talk to one another. But if I go, honey, I'm tired, she doesn't get mad at me. She just doesn't get to have that relationship and talk with me. But this is what God's doing right here with Peter. He's restoring him by talking with him. The Bible says, though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Come and reason with me, God would say. He wants to show us our heart and show us our pride and show us the areas of what makes us stumble and how we're trying to trust in our own strength. He's not trying to destroy you. He wants to help you. He's trying to build you up and make you the very thing that he called you to be, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And yet we run from him. We don't spend time with him. We don't read his word. We don't pray. We don't spend time with his people. Peter says, you know all things. Do you know that he knows all things? He knows exactly what you're going to do next year. He knows what you're going to do when you go home today. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows all the sins of your life, and he forgives them. Isn't that amazing? He forgives He gives mercy. That's his greatest attribute. I want his mercy. I don't want him to give me what I deserve. If he gave me what I deserve, I wouldn't be breathing. I would be in fire. Not just warming my hands at the enemy's fire, but I would be burning in hell. And he gave me a free gift of God. Salvation. You know I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep, the mature ones. Most assuredly, I say to you, listen, this is where he says it. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself. You put on your own clothes. You walked where you wish. You did what you wanted to do. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, there's several things that could be going on here, but one could be that the Holy Spirit would be leading him where he really didn't want to go. But since he's dying to self, he would go in and do the things that God called him to do because he's not doing them in his strength. See, in your strength, you'll run from persecution. In your strength, you'll flee. In your strength, you will confirm and celebrate the immorality of the world. 
you'll say, who cares if they're LGBT? Who cares if they do that? Who cares if they live that way? Who cares if they kill babies? God cares. And we represent God. We're his ambassadors. We're, we're, the, we're the light of the world that's, that's shining his light on the dead souls. And if their conscience isn't met with truth, they'll never come to Jesus. We're called to be witnesses. It does matter. If you stand idly by and you don't tell people about the truth of Jesus, then you are complicit with their sin. If you let them live their lives the way they are and you say, it doesn't matter to me, they can do what they want. What if Christ would have did that? He's our example. What if he just said, ah, they're dying, let them die. See, that's not the love of God. Don't miss, this text is about love. Do you love me? Faith, hope, and love, charity. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because all the rest of them are contained in love. God is love. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The greatest is love. Without love, we're nothing. It's the love of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God that brings men to repentance, to the throne of mercy, to the place of surrender, to a life of faith, to have hope so that we can share that same love with others. And as Christ is even sharing this love with Peter and meeting him where he's at, he's teaching Peter to meet other people where they're at and to teach them and tend them and love them and give them the gospel. Now, the other part of this is that when Peter was crucified, he refused to be crucified right side up the way the Lord was. He stretched out his arms and he made them crucify him upside downward. He said he wasn't worthy to die the way the Lord did. Then verse 19 tells us, commentary, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. You hear that? Your death glorifies God. Your spiritual death to self will glorify God. That's the only way you're going to glorify God in the body is when you die to self, die to what you want to do, die to your own strength, and you glorify God by allowing him to use your life to witness to others. And then if you die as a martyr, you glorify God the same way Peter did. But he said this, God, when he had spoken this, or excuse me, glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Isn't that what this was about in the first place? He said this the first time, follow me. Follow me means to be in the way with me. Not warming your hand at the enemy's campfire. Not following at a distance. It means following close behind, doing the work of the ministry with him. Peter, here's Peter. He's a leader. Got some questions, Lord. Turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. He saw John, the author of this gospel, following, who also leaned. It gives us some explanation on the breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? John was on one side of Jesus. Judas was on the other. Grace is on one side, betrayals on the other. Which side are you on with Jesus? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Listen, your first priority in life is not others. If your life is not right and you're not following him, you cannot give yourself away to others and strengthen others. So many times you see people that are not being refilled with the Holy Spirit, not going to Jesus. They're trying to minister with old bread to people. They're concerned more about what others are doing instead of their own life. 
Listen to me. If you want to glorify God, meet with God. Be in the word, prayer, and fellowship. And do it not for yourself. Do it for others. Oh, it's, You're going to gain from it because you're meeting with God. But when you go to get filled up and say, what can I give to others? Because I want to do this for others. That's where you humble yourself and the pride is removed. And you begin to meet people just like our Lord did where they were at. And you learn to love unconditionally. And to give yourself away and be a servant. And you learn the fruits of the Spirit. See, because the faithfulness is in the fruit of the Spirit. It's in the fruit of love. Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you see somebody that all they worry about is themselves and they're mad at everybody else and they don't want to serve anybody else, and everybody else is an interruption to their life, you know they're not walking in the Spirit. You know they're not even looking to live for God. You know that they're, they may go to church, they may say, I'm a Christian, but there's no fruit of righteousness in them that is clear to see, and you can tell a tree by its fruit. What fruit are you bearing? Maybe it's because you're following at a distance. Maybe it's because you're warming your hands at the ways of the world and the institutions of the world that are lying to you and pouring gasoline on your fire. That they're giving you more sin, adding sin to sin. Make no mistake, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, but you do not want to work on that. You want to follow Jesus close behind. Be in the way with Him. It actually means in union with So, don't be afraid to let God remove the world from your life. We can only be done when you surrender and you get in fellowship with God and with His people. You begin to read the Word of God, even if it's a page a day. Begin to rehearse the Word of God. Look at this. He loves you. He comes to you. He wants to restore you. He did it with Peter. It's the way he works with all of us. But he wants us to go and restore others. How do we do that? By telling them the gospel. By being a witness. By telling them truth. And giving them a chance to respond to his truth. Amen. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that you love us with a never-ending love. You're not disappointed with us. You've come to find us. And you laid your life down so that we could have life. Lord, we ask that you would give us a desire to lay our life down so that others could have life. Lord, help us not to do it in our strength, but to meet with you and pour ourselves out at your throne room as a drink offering. And allow us to be filled with your spirit so we could serve others with kindness. We could show others love. And we would know how to speak as we ought to speak. Lord, I pray that my speech would betray me. And they would know. They would know that I'm one of your disciples by my love for others. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? With Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. 
If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I